0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson. Today's episode, we unpack some data with one and the only Steve McLaughlin. He is the vice president of product management at BlackBot and senior advisor to the BlackBot Institute, as well as the author of the best-selling book, Data-Driven Nonprofits. And today we're unpacking a report where he was one of the main contributors, the charitable giving report of 2020, and trying to answer the question, what the heck happened in 2020? Specifically to charitable giving. There's a lot of stuff that happened in 2020, but we just talk about charitable giving. The charitable giving report by Blackbaud Institute looks at over 40 billion dollars of giving and they've been doing this research and analysis going back years so they have a very rich data set they can look at different trends and one of the trends that we dive into is the growth and the rise of online particularly as it relates to small organizations, large organizations, medium-sized organizations in different countries outside of the U.S., as well as looking at some of the underlying trends and things that we saw throughout 2020 and what it means for 2021. So if you like data, if you want to unpack some data, uh, this is the episode for you. If not, uh, I hope you listen anyways. Thank you, as always, uh, for listening. Hey, Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Good to be here. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. Uh, you know how in SNL they have like the five-timers club and the special blazer? We're going to have I'm, to work on that for you. I'm or, getting close. You're getting close, yeah. Well, so by the time you actually come on for the fifth time, maybe we'll have a, a blazer or at least a patch that you could put on a blazer. How's that?
1: Okay, I'll, I'll have my tailor send my measurements
0: over. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I know time is short. Let's just dive right in. I want to talk about the charitable giving report 2020 and get to really what people have been asking for months, is what impact is COVID nineteen in twenty twenty going to have on charitable giving, and uh, what did you find out? Yeah, that's a, been a,
1: uh, a popular question for a while. What the heck happened in twenty twenty? <laughs> yeah, with regards to giving, we'll set everything else yes aside in this report to look at overall and online giving on a year over year basis. And once again, uh, we looked at twenty twenty. Um, we looked at a little more than forty billion in fundraising revenue across a wide range of organizations, and um, found a couple of interesting things. First of all, um, overall giving was up two percent in twenty twenty compared to twenty nineteen. Now, two percent might not seem like much, but you know, having watched that data all through twenty twenty. If you'd asked me last April, May, or June if we were gonna get growth, I would have said no, you'd be lucky to not be down several percentage points. So all in all, 2% growth in a global pandemic year, um, pretty good. Um, Online was up 21% on a year over year basis. Um, Lots to talk about online, but, uh, but that was really good growth. And the other thing certainly we saw was that there was growth in average gift amounts, unlike we've seen in quite a while. Um, average gift amount grew from $617 in 2019 to $737 in 2020. So, you know, well over $100, $120 jump, if you will. Uh, online gifts, which have always traditionally been a higher gift amount went from 148 in 2019 to 177 hmm. in um, 2020. So, so really positive and um, in, in a lot of respects, all things considered.
0: Yeah. So um, on, on average gifts, and if you don't know off the, off the top of your head, that's fine, but it, you know, the, those are the two main levers that we have to grow giving is more people give or that or people are more generous. Was it one or the other, or was it a combination of like a little of each? Um, did either of those stand out? I think we changed the numerator, not the
1: denominator. Uh, we, we saw some good growth in some different sectors um, than traditionally what they would typically see in terms of an average gift amount, not necessarily more, more donors per se, but if anything, uh, individuals just being more generous um, than they had been
0: in the, in the past,
1: um, which, is a, which is a positive sign for sure.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the typical response after like disasters. If you isolate, you you normally see like an an immediate influx, but then there's a lot of people that, you know, can't give. And so you see people who can give actually give a little bit more. We were actually tracking this through, through the year. And it was amazing to see all metrics immediately go up like um, giving rate, average gift, across the board, everyone responded, and then it started to sag a bit. And I think that came out in your report too, right? The summer months, there was a clear kind of uh, dip, was there not?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. Um, If we look at the longitudinal data, fancy term for time series uh, for 2020, um, you know, January, February, good uh, up year over year. And then March is when we really saw the the dip start mm. the second quarter of 2020, so April, May, June, uh down eight percent. Mm. Like that was and that was the bottom. Right. And then beginning in Q three and into Q four, it began to recover. Um, in terms of overall giving. What was interesting, and by the time we got to the end of 2020, we were we were up. Q four right. was up three percent. End of year giving was really good. Yeah. In 2020, so we so we had we definitely had a dip, um, and there's a lot of you know things that were impacted by that. But there was a pretty good recovery the rest of the year. Yeah, when we look at online giving, online giving never really experienced that. In fact, in the second quarter of 2020, so April, May, and June, when fundraising was experiencing its lowest lows online giving was at its highest highs in the second quarter of 2020 online giving was up 36%. Wow. Um and I think yeah obviously what we were seeing there was a shift um sort of digital adaptation in motion of you know when my physical events disappear when some of the traditional things I may have done as an organization or as a fundraiser begin to disappear that shift to digital really happened and it held up Um, For most of the year, we had double digit growth rates throughout the end of the year, uh, which was very positive to see.
0: Yeah. And I should clarify too: the benchmark we were keeping track of was digital only. And that's where we never really saw the lag that that you also never really saw digital was basically kind of up the whole time. We're going to circle back to online because that's obviously what we focus a lot on. But it's also a a clear trend and a big story that came out of the The data and the resiliency through the kind of down months is is one of the interesting things and one of the kind of cases for support for digital in terms of the ability to quickly respond, respond from anywhere, respond from your home. You know, it's a very flexible type of giving. But before we get there, uh, like there's a few different splits that I thought were interesting in terms of overall growth where small organizations seem to be disproportionately affected compared to, say, large organizations. And then some verticals like arts was was down quite significantly, almost ten percent. And human services was up twelve percent. And some of that is just like quite logical, is it not?
1: Uh, I don't know if it's logical. Uh, that's you know that's how the mathematics work out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to your point, uh, m- you know, in the in the analysis, we date we break down organizations by size of organization and also subsector of organization. And to your point. While large organizations, those with more than 10 million dollars in annual fundraising revenue and medium-sized organizations, those between one and 10 million in annual fundraising revenue, were in positive territory, and also over a three-year basis, were positive. Small organizations uh, 2020 was a really hard year on those mm-hmm. orgs. And so when we're talking about a smaller organization in our analysis, these are organizations with less than a million dollars in total fundraising revenue. Um, they were down seven percent in 2020, and over a three-year basis, down um, almost five percent. Mm. So, I th- I think certainly what we saw in the data was uh, small, or sorry, medium and larger organizations recovered faster, and actually in some cases had uh, really positive years. Smaller organizations just really struggled, and I think you know that's just down to the the economics and the mathematics here that you know if you lost out on your spring event or your summer event or you know certain donors or um you know funders from the past didn't come through because of varying circumstances you would be impacted a lot more you know if a if an organization that raises less than a million dollars a year uh misses out on a $100,000 gift or a $100,000 event that has more impact on them than an organization that raises $30 million a year so one would expect that to be the case.
0: Right, and that's a little bit what I meant by by the kind of like logical, and I guess it's just like hindsight or analysis. But the other thing is, you know, infrastructure, especially on the digital side. You know, if you didn't have website and donation form and virtual fundraising platform, like these things kind of in place, it made it really hard. Now, once revenue dips to like invest, especially if you're smaller, whereas the larger and mediums who've maybe had a little bit more infrastructure ready to do that? And then the arts, you know, down. I know we talked to many theaters that are like, yep, our theater's closed and that's how we raise a lot of our money. You know, it's really difficult where human services, you can kind of see the need for like, yeah, we actually need to support, you know, human services. There's people really, really struggling. So the kind of, you know, heightened empathy uh, came out there. I, the, yeah,
1: certainly on the subsector side, you're absolutely right. Um, certain organizations like human services, faith-based, others had pretty positive growth numbers in 2020, but arts and culture uh, had, a, had a pretty big impact and, you know, that's to be expected given the, the circumstances they were dealing with. Although I think one thing that's important and I'm sure you saw this last year too, was that unlike um, certain type of episodic events like a natural disaster or uh, you know some viral challenge, viral in a good way, <laughs> uh, that um, every organization, regardless of your mission and your sector, was impacted, right? And it could have been our organization is impacted because we're on the front lines or like a zoo aquarium performing arts center. We're not on the front lines, but we are we are impacted because of this, and I think it was universal that all these organizations were impacted in in different ways and and donors showed up, which was positive,
0: yeah, and what we saw is the organizations that were more quick uh, to kind of make the link and understanding of how impacted they actually were, you know, did better. Some organizations kind of maybe trying to be like the altruist was like, Oh, we're not on the front lines. Therefore, you know, we shouldn't be out raising money right now, yeah. which is an interesting, you know, mindset. But then I think as time went on, they're like, Oh no, like our, our staff can't come into the office. They have to be at home with kids. And like, everyone was definitely impacted. And it just maybe took some organizations a little bit longer to realize like, Oh crap, Hey, this isn't going away anytime soon too. Like me, we are absolutely affected and see, we have to be out there fundraising. So it'd be really interesting if you could like, you know, target organizations that was like quick to. Respond versus slow to respond, and see that split because that would be a really interesting thing, you know, to see um, who who is able to like succeed or thrive in the year versus not. Um, No,
1: absolutely. I mean, one of the things we continually encourage when either talking with customers or doing a webinar or doing a podcast was don't stop asking, don't don't go dark, don't don't go invisible. And I think you're right. Organizations that found the link, or at least were still out there talking about the importance, um, you know,
0: continued to do well. One of the other interesting kind of breaks that I saw is, you know, you include Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand in there, which is great. But year over year, all, all of those countries were were down, you know, not like huge, but they were all, you know, down. So it looks like, you know, of that group, the U.S. is is maybe the outlier. Is that kind of what, what you saw? Or maybe what are some reasons for that, if any?
1: Yeah, to your point, we, um, in the report and in our index work, um, we have some data on Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and um, they had challenging years on the fundraising side. Uh, in some cases, were in, in negative numbers. And I think it's just a matter of um, they did not necessarily see the type of recovery and giving or some other economic factors that we saw um in the US. And um, you know, I don't know if the US is an outlier or not. There, you know, it is, it is a bit apples and oranges in the comparison. We're talking about the amount of money that's given in population and, and a couple of other factors. But um, you know, I think the key is can we be cautiously optimistic in 2021 to see, you know, multiple countries have a, a good recovery uh, on a year over year basis at least.
0: Yeah. Okay. So t- talking about being, you know, cautiously op- uh, cautionly... talking about being optimistic. And in this <laughs> case, let's be real optimistic on online giving. Uh, it was kind of obviously uh, something that you've already talked about, but uh, a long held prediction of yours was that online giving would eventually kind of break through this barrier of 10% of total giving. And this is the year we did it. Congratulations. Congratulations, Digital. Uh,
1: (laughs) So I've been I've been measuring this and looking at this for 16 years. (laughs) So I don't know how bold of a prediction it was because it (laughs) took 16 years to become reality. But uh, yeah, to your point, in 2020, online giving was about 13 percent of total, uh, you know, fundraising. And that's, you know, the highest we've ever recorded it um, in the 16 years we've been looking at it. Um, but what's also interesting is I, I've also have charted that versus U.S. retail online sales because mm. the Department of Commerce puts that out. And for a number of years, it's it's tracking near or at that level. And again, that's what we saw in 2020. Um, online mm. retail sales in the U.S. were about 14 percent of total revenue. So mm. Um, uh, and I know we we've talked about this one before. People are often surprised that, wow, it's you know, it's only 8% or it's only 13%. why isn't it higher? And then when you explain, you know, right, you know, retail sales is at a similar level, and yet, you know, just because we think people buy everything online turns out no. Um, there's a lot of things that that aren't sold that way. But this is to me, is is a big, is a big tipping point. Um, I think you take that. Combined with the fact that uh, we saw a good increase in gift amount, uh, 28% of those online donations happen on a mobile device. I mean, it, it's, you know, online giving has been around for 20 years, but I think it has it finally grown up and is ready to move out of the house and be mature, contributing a, you know, channel in the, in the <laughs> sector. And this is positive. And I, I think, again, the phrase that I use is, is it's digital adaptation organizations were forced Mm. to embrace it and in part because that's where their donors were going. And, you know, time and time again, we just see that donor behavior mirrors consumer behavior. And and that's exactly what happened in 2020.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, not, not just because there's a a larger percentage of overall, overall revenue coming from online, which is great. But for those of us that have been kind of trying to wave the flag, you know, for a while, you know, not seeing the like, um, only shift. So like if overall giving's down, but digital's up, then people would say like, yeah, well, more people gave online, but giving didn't grow. And we didn't see that giving did grow in a yeah. tough year. And it was kind of fueled by online. So those two things are actually both up, which is good. Yeah, um, you, could,
1: you could absolutely say in 2020, that significant growth in online, particularly the second and the third quarter of the year, really helped buoy overall giving um and and unlike years in the past
0: and and one of the the things that again we've talked about but i have to i'm like legally obligated to point this out and every time we talk about percentage of online giving where people interact isn't always where they transact and when we look at giving if people are giving million dollar gifts hundred thousand dollar gifts those are almost never going to be coded as online even though They may issue a stock transfer from their online bank account to their online DAF and wire directly into your nonprofit and no paper ever touches the ground and never makes it off the desk. It's still not being coded, you know, as online, it's coming in through like a different source. And then again, people who write you these checks, they still may be receiving your emails. We know offline only donors who receive email give 84% more. So digital touches and influences everyone, tiny donors, massive donors, it's hugely, hugely important outside of transaction volume and percentage of overall giving. But what we're starting to see is more and more increase on this metric, which is also useful in kind of making this case for for online giving. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, 100% agree. You know, um, I'm either infamous or famous, depending on the day of the week, for saying that um, not to confuse the channel of engagement with the channel of transaction. We yeah. all as professionals in this space know that um, – donors don't necessarily respond linearly (laughs) or even in the way that we engage with them that it is absolutely entirely possible that that direct mail piece or that advert or that you know event or phone call or text message is the thing that added up to drive that where the transaction took place yeah um oftentimes when we publish this data there's a there's a bit of um, hand, hand wringing about well but you know you're implying that that direct mail is dead or that the offline doesn't matter and it's like no I'm actually not saying that I'm just saying <laughs> right. that you know uh, the reality is you need to engage with multiple channels um, and the, it, but but it's important to have a sense of you know what are some characteristics of online that may be beneficial or or offline. And, and you and I have talked about this before. You know, I would love to just not make the distinction anymore because I don't believe that any donor says, I'm Steve, I'm the online donor, and I'm Brady, I'm the offline donor. They don't do that. It is largely a, you know, vestigial tale of source coding and organizational politics over who gets credit for the donation that makes people mainly care about where it came from. But um the distinction is is, I think, quickly going away. Um, it's more of, you know, what's that multi-channel donor look like? And certainly we know from the data that a donor who is engaged with and transacts through multiple channels has higher retention rate, higher lifetime value, all these other beneficial things compared to anyone single channel by itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and we we cited kind of that exact um data from a different report that you did in a report that we did on multi-channel around retention. And what we found is when you look at where do multi-channel donors come from, they come from online is what we found when we do our analysis. Online donors are 400% to 14,400% more likely To become a multi-channel donor than the other way around. And most of that is just tied up in information collection more than anything, honestly, because we looked at strategy and there's not a lot of nonprofits being intentional about a multi-channel strategy to online or offline donors. They just happen to get more information. So it kind of trickles down, um, which is kind of interesting.
1: But that also just goes back to, you know, donor behavior is driving this. right? Um, And so that is maybe one of the reasons why I continually talk about the importance of understanding the mix between online and offline and mobile because a lot of organizations aren't driving that. It's the donors who are driving it. The yes. donors drove a lot of that type of behavior. Uh and we need to be cognizant of it and, and pay attention to it for sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and, and talk about donor behavior, you know, while online giving was up and we saw some splits in countries and verticals and large and small, we did not see that, or at least I didn't see it reading through the report for online. It was small, medium, large. Every single vertical and every single country was basically up, was it not? There's not really too many downs or negatives, if any, in the whole report for online.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the slowest or the smallest growth was four and a half percent. You had some organizations growing 17, 15, 14 percent year over year. Now, this is also the fun of you know, statistics and the rigor that we go into the report when we do the 2021 charitable giving report, we're going to be comparing against 2020. And I've seen this happen before, and I guarantee you it will happen again. There will be organizations in 2021 who are down year over year. And you're like, whoa, does that mean fundraising is bad? It's like, no, but like that org, you know, those organizations were up 15% in 2020. Right. And you know, 15, adding another 5% on 15 is hard. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I've seen some early data for 2021 and we're still in positive territory, which is good. Um, But as we, we all learned last year, things can quickly change.
0: Yeah. So um, I obviously encourage everyone to go and download the report. You guys do such a great job and you have so many years now. It's so rich. But it's so simple uh, in terms of like you you make it easy to understand, which is great. Even I can understand it. So well done. Everyone should go download it. But uh, what do we do now? That's that's the the question that you know we ask whenever we do a data study, or everyone who's reading a benchmark study should kind of say, well, so what? You know, online giving's up thirteen percent. What what does that mean for me? Uh, so any any kind of like tips or things um, that that you see moving forward, or even like. Hey, based on, on the data, what we experienced in 2020, um, here's some things that organizations just have to be doing and thinking about as we enter 2021.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So um, some time with a handful of organizations uh, talking about some trends and I pulled out some of the data and we had a, a pretty healthy discussion about taking some of the data in the report and just comparing it to their own results, right? So if you're a medium-sized uh, you know, mm. healthcare organization, well, those organizations grew four and a half percent in online in 2020, and they had a bit of a decrease in overall. How does that compare to what you saw? And and oftentimes, you know, the benchmarking data is valuable because it allows you to compare yourself to peers, either by size of organization, because some people care about that, or Usually, uh, it's the actual subsector information that's much more valuable. How am mm-hmm. I doing compared to uh, peer organizations? And I find that to be extremely valuable, not only for an organization uh, executive director, CEO, head of fundraising, head of advancement, whatever, to compare their performance, but also so that at that next board meeting, you know, when you're typically presenting financials and you're going through some things, the, the data in the report can be helpful to say. Hey, uh, you know, uh, you know, Blackbaud's charitable giving report said that this, you know, part of the sector was up 2% and we were up three. So we're actually did better than our peers, even if you're thinking well, three, that's not so great. Right. Well, so, you know, it is the, um, you know, what is it? A benchmark is if Brady, if you and I are being chased by a bear, I don't try and outrun the bear. I just try and outrun you. That's benchmarking. Right. And I think the data can be used in a really valuable way to to do some of that peer benchmarking to compare yourself to other institutions. And, and also if you're behind, okay, what would it take to catch up? Or, you know, if we are two percentage points behind in the online piece and we know our average gift amount, um, if we could, you know, be as good as our peers or better than, you could, you could calculate the, you know, the financial gain there for sure based yeah. on a couple of
0: inputs. Well, and that's that's the exact context that led to this podcast is we were preparing a report for a client who was asking that question, like, great, we're up, but how does that compare to everyone else? And we're like, we don't know. Let me ask Steve to see when the report's coming out, uh, because that's exactly it. And for digital, I think that's a great point is like, if you did not grow digital by 20%, the question is, why and why not? You know, that's kind of, obviously, you can do the subsector and and more directly compare to your industry. But- especially sure. as it relates to digital, that's that's the baseline. Were you above and it? There were orgs, you below it?
1: Look, there are orgs who didn't, right? right. Uh, if you were an organization that has a high dependency on these in-person events or peer-to-peer in-person, 2020 was a tough year if you mm-hmm. weren't able to pivot or shift to virtual. So, but But all in all, it was a pretty positive year.
0: Right, yeah. Great. That's a, that's a great tip. And if a bear is chasing both of us, I got bad news. We're both going down. Uh, he'll, he'll take one down and then catch the other one. Are you I don't... supposed
1: to zigzag or climb a tree? <laughs> I can't remember what you do with a
0: bear. Play play dead. It depends if it's brown yeah, or black. Yeah. It depends if it's brown or black. The problem is I don't know which one. So <laughs> you got a 50, 50 chance of, uh, of doing the right thing. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for kind of unpacking that a little bit and thanks for the great work on the report. Um, where can people go and find out more and get this lovely report? Sure, you can get the
1: complete report at blackboardinstitutecom slash charitable giving.
0: Awesome, and we'll be sure to send that out. Thank you once again. Awesome, thanks Brady, appreciate it. Hi again, this is Brady and I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to listen to all future episodes or maybe go back and listen to some of our past episodes, you can do so by going to generosityfreakshow.com or you can search the Generosity Freak Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you have any questions or a suggested guest or maybe you yourself would like to come on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at podcast.com at nextafter.com. That's podcast at nextafter.com. And if you want to find out more about this vision to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world and what we're doing at Next After in terms of research, resources, and training, you can find out more at nextafter.com. That's nextafter.com. Thank you very much for listening. And finally, I have to say thank you to Nathan Hill, our producer and mixologist. This would not be possible without him. So thank you, Nathan. And thank you once again for listening.